Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you're listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Ernest Hemingway grasped some of the difficulty that characterizes relationships between fathers and sons in his short story, The Capital of the World. The story revolves around a father and his teenage son, Paco, set in Spain. Paco was an extremely common name in Spain at the time. With desires to become a matador and to escape his father's control, Paco runs away to the capital, from which the title of the story is derived, to uh, Madrid in Spain. His father, desperate to reconcile with his son, follows him to Madrid and puts an ad in a local newspaper with the simple phrase, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway then writes, The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness. The world is full of people in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. The model for such forgiveness is the most profoundly found in Jesus Christ. Though Hemingway was writing a story, it resonates in our hearts. Oh, to have forgiveness for sin. Oh, to have real restoration between two people who need each other. How painful it is to be continually rejected by those who cannot forgive or at least look past your sins. Today we look at a passage of scripture where forgiveness is on display, but so is rejection. We're being asked to place ourselves in the sandals of Levi, the tax collector, and also to see from the position of the Pharisees. The Gospel of Mark is challenging us to see ourselves as unworthy and wanted by God, to see God not as distant but searching for us, and we are warned not to be like the Pharisees, who are unwilling to see our need, and they're chasing people away from Jesus. It's a little story of God's love for you, if you're willing to hear it. Let's read the text in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not to the healthy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a very short story, perhaps so short that we might just dismiss it as Jesus just picking up another disciple and the Pharisees not understanding what Jesus is doing yet, and then we just move on to the next part of the gospel. And I would not blame a reader for simply just going on. It's not as exciting as the previous story of a a man who's paralyzed being lowered through the roof of of a house to get healed. And it's not as dynamic as Jesus is challenging our understanding of the Sabbath. 
but it's locked. It, there's importance in the story and locked into the story. Jesus is pushing us to change how we see ourselves, how we see God and how we see others. If you let it, this little story can become one of the most profound and important Bible stories that you ever let into your life. Some will say, oh, how important can this story be? It's just Jesus walking on the beach, teaching a crowd. He, he invites the tax collector to follow him, and then he's at a party at the tax collector's house. Uh, perhaps that's a farewell party for this tax collector's friends. There's those stiff teachers of the law. They show up, and they're mad at Jesus like usual. And then Jesus says one of the most profound words we will ever hear, and do not miss this. In Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in those words are a profound freedom and release and love and forgiveness for us all. But for a long time, this statement bothered me. On the one hand, it always seemed to me when I was a little boy that it was a little obvious. Well, of course doctors treat sick people. But then there's that other half. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I remember as a young boy, it, I would go, so it sounds like there's some people that Jesus isn't going to call. I actually felt bad for the righteous because Jesus wasn't going to call to them. They were missing out. And as I grew, I started wondering about the text and wondered, is it possible that there are two types of people on this planet, sinners who need Jesus and the righteous who do not? You know, people often act this way. When we see someone of good character, when the crowd sees someone of good character, they often tear that person down. Oh, they're just a goody two-shoes. They're, they're holier than thou. It's amazing how we can take a person's goodness and make it undesirable. Then, of course, a person can feel their sins so acutely that they feel unwanted or that they're a perpetual outcast. Oh, nobody wants me. I'm too awful. And, of course, there are those of us, to paraphrase Philip Yancey, who judge those who sin differently from ourselves. We think we've got it all figured out. I've grown so much. But that person over there, I can't believe what they've done. Hmm. Think about it for a moment. How do you feel when you are around a person whose sin struggles are much different from your own? Do you shy away from them? Do you treat them as a special case? Or do you realize that our different sins put us in the same boat, needing a lifeline from God? It's in our nature to see people as righteous and unrighteous or even self-righteous. Simply put, Jesus tells us in this story that we are all unrighteous. We are all sinners. And he also tells us that he loves us still and has the forgiveness that we need. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we are all sinners and all unrighteous. It's there in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's take a look at that story we read, the text in the Gospel of Mark, just in a little bit more detail. Think about it a little bit more slowly. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. The last few stories in Mark have had him in this location. He healed a leper, 
And that leper refused to keep quiet about the healing, and he spread the word about Jesus. And when he did that, he made it difficult for Jesus to enter towns in the area. Jesus eventually goes back to the town that he was living in, Capernaum, and there the crowds are so great that a paralyzed man who's trying to get healed needs to be lowered down through the roof just to get near to Jesus. There's a bubbling over of excitement that's happening in the Gospel of Mark. And it was in the heal, it was in the forgiveness and healing of this paralyzed man that Jesus has now come under the watchful, scrutinizing eyes of the teachers of the law. And so now we come to our story we read today. We encounter Jesus again, and again he's walking along the shore of Galilee. And no surprise, there's a crowd around him hanging on his every word. And as he walks along, he spots a tax collector, Levi, son of Alphaeus. Biblical scholars largely assume that this is Matthew, who also has a second name, which happens to be Levi. Having two names is not uncommon in Israel, and often a person might have a Hebrew and a Greek name, or just two Hebrew names. And I would agree, though some would argue that maybe Levi is someone else, I think it's Matthew as well. Especially since you can read in Matthew's gospel the very same story of a tax collector being called to follow Jesus. And the story is told after a paralyzed man is lowered through a roof to be healed, and Matthew identifies that particular tax collector as himself. So we have Matthew, Levi, let's call him Levi. And he's at his tax collection booth on the shore of Galilee. This location tells us a little bit about Levi. He worked for Herod Antipas, because that's Herod's territory. Actually, it's likely that he worked directly for some sort of middleman who was collecting for Herod. And Levi was working in a tax booth located on the shoreline that would have collected traveling taxes from those who were traveling by road or by water. Uh, If it was by road, it would have been those traveling between Damascus and Capernaum and then as far west as the Mediterranean Sea. Anyone traveling on this road between those places would have had to have stopped and paid a tax. And uh, additionally, uh, this booth would have collected tax from travelers going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. On the other side, from Capernaum, there was an area populated, highly populated area, called the Decapolis. Uh, It was not a Jewish place, but a Greek place. It was Hellenized. It was a place of culture and industry. There was a tremendous amount of power and wealth located in that area on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so Levi is situated in a good place to collect taxes. He's getting very rich doing what he's doing. But what about tax collecting makes a person a sinner or detestable? Now, no one truly likes paying taxes, and many of us wish that tax dollars were better used. But in Jesus' day, a tax collector was something different than what we're used to. Tax collectors were seen as traitors to their nation. These taxes ultimately went to the Romans. An Israelite working for Rome had betrayed his people. He was collecting taxes. Can you imagine welcoming a traitor into your home? Most of us can't even do that. We might be able to think of someone who betrayed us personally. There's a lot of pain that comes with betrayal. And all too often, betrayal comes from... uh, Now, let me say it this way. All too often with betrayal comes the word unforgivable. We don't like forgiving those that betray us. And that's the situation that Levi finds himself in. 
But what else makes a tax collector a sinner? Well, tax collection was a complex activity of, of money gathering. And actually, the job of a tax collector was highly sought after. Uh, everybody, lots of people, not everybody, but lots of people wanted this job because it was a guaranteed way of getting wildly rich. Now, here's the thing you need to know. The Romans didn't make the, t- the tax rates public. Nobody really knew who walked along the roads or who paid taxes for what they did for a living. Nobody really knew what the tax rate was, what Rome actually expected. And here's what Rome would do. They would bid out. They would take bids from different people who said they could t- collect the tax. So if Rome decided they needed $1,000 a month from a road that was highly traveled, we're just using dollars to make it easy, and 1000 I just picked it out of the air. Let's say Rome wanted $1,000 a month from a highly traveled road. Aspiring individuals would then gather together and they would bid. One would say, I can collect that $1,000 for Rome. Another would say, well, you know what? I can collect $1,500 for Rome. And then another one might say, you know, I can collect $3,000 for Rome. And guess who Rome would hire to collect the taxes? The highest bidder. But here's the rub. That bidder might promise to collect $3,000 for Rome, but they'll actually collect $4,000 or $5,000 and they keep the extra. That's how they got paid. They were allowed to collect as much as they possibly could, and as long as they delivered what they promised, they could keep the extra. Now, this this process was farmed out from Rome itself through its governor, so the governors took a, a, a bite out of the pie, the collection pie, and then other officials would take a bite out of the pie, and, and middlemen would take bites out of the pie till you get to the guy like Levi, who's actually on the road collecting the money. Each person was trying to make more money than was required, and they're trying to pay themselves out of that excess. No one knew the actual tax rate, but everybody knew the person collecting the money was taking too much and lining their own pocket with it. That's how people saw Levi. A tax collector was a liar by trade. They were never honest about what was really owed. And they're working for the enemy. They're deceiving their countrymen. They're extorting money from their neighbors, and they're leaving people destitute while profiting off their poverty. This is a person people loved to hate, and they loved to blame tax collectors. This is a person who people would take a cheap shot at if they could and get away with it. This is a person who had to buy their own friends. Yeah, they're incredibly wealthy, and they're incredibly alone. No one likes a tax collector. And then comes Jesus. He offers Levi friendship, acceptance, and an invitation to a new life. Those words, follow me, they had to sound lovely and crazy all at once. And Levi had a decision to make, and we too have a decision to make as well when we hear the words, follow me. Here's the first decision that Levi had to make. He had to grapple with a couple of words and say they were true of himself. And the words are that he is unworthy and wanted. Levi had to decide who he was. Because there's all kinds of things that he could have decided who he was. He, he's the sinner. He's the un, undesirable one. He's the, there's all these things he could have said. But he had to decide with Jesus' words to him. He had to believe, I am unworthy and I am wanted. We like being wanted, but unworthy? How is that true? 
Was Levi really unworthy? Are we unworthy? Yes, we are. We are unworthy because of our sins and because of sin. And there is a difference between those two words, sins and sin. Sins are the things we do that fall short of God and his commands. We sin when we lie, when we murder, when we take the Lord's name in vain, or we steal or break any of the commandments. Sins are the things that we do personally. Sin, singular as is a nature. It's a quality. It's an environment we are stuck in. We are born in the sin nature. It's in us. And this whole world is wrestling with the sin nature. We may do nothing wrong in life and are still born into the sin nature. The question is, is will we face our sin? Will we accept that we need help? Will we be honest about who we are? That's the problem. We can say, yes, this is who I am, or we can deny it. But denial will not help. Denial will not put off the inevitable. Denial is a willing blindness to something that needs addressed. If you are sick and you need surgery or you need medicine, but deny you need that help, you will not get better. In fact, you'll probably get sicker. And this is what happens when we deny our sin. We only get worse. So Levi had a moment. He had to face his unworthiness, his sin, his sins and his sin nature. Had to decide there's no more living in denial. But he had to add another word to his understanding about himself. Worthy and un- unworthy and wanted. I knew this was going to be a bit of a tongue twister when I put this together, but he has to believe he is unworthy and wanted. He had to trust that God wanted him, that Jesus' call to follow him was sincere and not a joke on the hated tax collector. Unworthy and unwanted is unbearable, but being wanted makes all the difference. And it's not just Levi that must make this decision. This decision in this story, there's other characters that have to make a decision. And I would propose to you that the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, had to decide where they stood. They could, could they say that they are unworthy and wanted by God? Let me tell you, those Pharisees are not ready to say that yet. I would propose to you that at this moment in the story, those Pharisees saw themselves not as unworthy and wanted, but instead saw themselves as worthy and needed. We need to understand the Pharisees and their objectives. Pharisees are holiness specialists. These are people who saw themselves as the protectors of Israel. Pharisees saw Israel's history of judgment under God and a history of rejection by God as a result of disobeying God's law. The Pharisees never wanted the nation of Israel to suffer God's wrath again. They could say they're patriots, really, where the tax collector would be the traitor. They felt that they could avoid this wrath of God again by being perfect in obedience to God's law. They thought that God would want them because they obeyed. They thought that they could have a relationship with God because they had fixed themselves. They were holy now. They were righteous. And they also believed that others could only be wanted by God if they fixed themselves first. And in that, the Pharisees became needed. They were the gatekeepers of holiness. If you desire to be loved by God, you need the Pharisees to show you the way. There is a difference between being wanted and being needed. To be needed is to be essential, to be important. To be needed is to operate from our own power. 
But God does not work this way. He does not need us. He wants us. And it is better to be wanted. If you are needed, the person who needs you has no choice. If you are wanted, then you have been chosen. God wants us to see that we are wanted. He wants us to see that, yeah, we are unworthy. But he also wants us to see our value. We are wanted. A second decision that Levi has to make is to leave his tax collection booth. And that's what we're called to make a choice on. Are you going to leave your tax collection booth? We might not think too much about it when Levi just stands up and goes. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, other disciples leave their boats and their nets behind to follow Jesus. They stop being fishermen and start being followers. But later, when Jesus was crucified and the disciples thought everything had gone wrong and was over, Peter and his friends, you know, they go back to being fishermen. The fishermen can go back. That's not the case with Levi. If he leaves his booth, he will have failed to collect taxes. He will have left the money unwatched. And even if someone else is there to take over so that it's not unwatched and the collection still happens, Levi works in a highly competitive field. As hated as tax collectors are, there is always someone hungry to for, hungry enough for money. They're willing to step into the place immediately. If you leave your position, you're never getting it back again. And so if Levi leaves his tax booth, he loses everything that he can count on. His wealth, his expertise in money, his position, the friends or the companions or whatever you want to call. Can you really call someone a friend who you have to basically buy them with your money? But all that he can count on, he has to leave behind. And leaving his booth means that Levi will have to completely depend upon Jesus. The Pharisees have a tax collection booth too. Not literally. Their booth is their own self-sufficiency, their sense of control, their own power. And here's a hint. The Pharisees are unwilling to leave their tax collection booth. They're too obsessed with their need to be a control to prove themselves worthy. And you must decide if you are going to stay at your tax booth as well. Your tax booth may not be a literal tax booth, but it might be your accomplishments. You're wanting to have control over life and the situation you're in. Your ability to generate worth. All the skills you have. As long as you depend on a shred of your own strength, you will want to sit at your own tax collection booth. So we are all meant to put ourselves in Levi's shoes, seeing ourselves as unworthy but wanted, and choosing to leave behind our tax collection booth. I have a little bit more to mention about Levi, but we'll come back to that in a minute. A few more things that we need to see in this story. And that is this. God is searching for you. It is said that religion is humanity's attempt to find God. And I've met people who have spent their whole lives wondering if they have found God, wondering if they've, if they've heard his voice, wondering if they could just get near to him, if they could just feel his presence, if they just worked at it enough. That's what Pharisees do. They spend all their energy on trying to get close to God. But in this story, Jesus is seeking out Levi. Jesus looks for Levi. Jesus calls out to Levi. Levi. 
And that is what Christianity tells us. Life is not our search for God, but life is God searching for us. He wants us. He wants to walk with us. He's calling out to us. He's trying to get us to see that he's right next to us. But we have to be willing to believe that God is searching for you and for me and that you are worth seeking out. Augustina Hippo says this, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Do you believe that about God's opinion of you? The Pharisees did not believe this. They believed those who were sinners were unwelcome to God. Now true, our sin prevents us from having a true relationship with God. The sin needs to be overcome. It's a barrier. But it doesn't make us undesirable to God. And the Pharisees believed that they could not enter God's presence until they had cleaned themselves. I'm going to point out, and I'll point it out in a few minutes again. Jesus draws near to Levi. He asks Levi to follow him. And nowhere in that exchange does Levi say, I repent and I give up my sin. Jesus draws near to Levi first. And he draws near to us first before we can clean ourselves up because we cannot clean ourselves up. David Garland writes about the story and he describes the Pharisees as focused on inward and upward. So if you want to think of Pharisees, think of these two words, inward and upward. That is to say that they thought that that what they thought about what they must do to be worthy inwardly, and then they could have a relationship with God from them up to God. So inward and upward. It's kind of a pretty selfish way to think. I must focus on me and then I get to have. But then David Garland continues about describing Jesus and Jesus is downward and outward. He comes down to us from heaven and he goes out to meet us where we are. Thank goodness for that. God searches for us. But then there's something else. We need to see this too. As much as God searches for us, for the Christian, for the church, we have a job. We must bring Jesus to people. If you'll permit just a little more, perhaps the most important for us who are Christians, we need to hear this. You see, Levi follows Jesus, and his first action is to throw a party at his house and invite other tax collectors and other sinners. I want to make something very clear here. As I mentioned before, Levi has not yet repented of his sins. Maybe he has, but we haven't been told. And I think it's important that we haven't been told. And his guests haven't really done anything to clean themselves up to meet with Jesus. But Jesus eats with them anyway. And this is why the Pharisees are so mad at him. They are worried that camaraderie will equal contagion, that proximity will cause sin to rub off on Jesus and his disciples, or even on the Pharisees' holy selves. And let me tell you, a lot of Christians feel this way too. And I get it. I really do. Just ask any parent about who they let their children hang out with. Yeah, we don't want bad influences in the lives of our children. And I get it. There's truth in this thinking. The Bible even warns us about how we can become like those we are with. In Psalm 1-1, my favorite psalm, we're told this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But if we're not careful, we can let fear of association drive people away from Jesus. 
if you think of the Pharisees, the Pharisees certainly drove a lot of people away from God. Their strict rules about who could and couldn't be worthy <sighs> drove people away. Henry Drummond says this, How many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by the unlovely character of those who profess to be inside? Jesus does not fear being contaminated by lepers and sinners, but instead he contaminates them with God's power and grace. And that should be our attitude as the church. We do not fear contamination by those outside the church, but we want to contaminate them with the presence of God, bringing Jesus to them. So, do you see people as potential polluters to holiness? Or do you see people that God desires to restore? God's holiness does not need protecting. And I have news for you. We're not qualified to safeguard his holiness. Theologian Miroslav Wolf offers a challenge to us. He says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and myself from the community of sinners. Hmm, that's something to think about. Let me read it again. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. That's the description of a Pharisee. Let it not be a description of the Christian, of the church, of our church at Valley View or ourselves. We need to be like Levi. Unworthy and wanted willing to leave the tax booth and bringing others, bringing Jesus to others. This party that Levi had might have been a farewell party, but it was also Levi bringing Jesus to people who needed him. One more quote from Henry Nowen, and he writes this, Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Are we doing that? Are we offering a space where change can take place in people? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to put aside our Pharisee tendencies. We confess that we cannot make ourselves holy, but we must let you work holiness into us. We cannot be righteous, but we need the righteousness of Jesus. Lord, help us not to drive people away, saying, oh, we can't be like them. But put, us, put in us a fire to carry Jesus out to those who need him the most. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.